hey, why don't you buy a diet? Or some suspenders. If you cut their tongues, they can speak. I'm Zach. I'm Riff. And I'm Kevin. And it's time for episode number 129 of Video Games Hot Dog. Well, we've done it, guys. We've exceeded the range of an 8-bit integer. A 7-bit integer. 7-bit integer. Shit. Yep. Um... What are we going to do to celebrate eight this milestone? Now. We're yeah, using we are, our 8-bit. We, we are now an 8-bit <laughs> podcast. That's exciting. Uh, well, Did you just boop and beep, Riff? Boop, 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 beep. Boop, boop, beep. This is like <clears throat> that dream I had about the time Riff booped. Oh, yeah? Uh, that's not a real thing. Man, uh, we're recording late because, uh, well, we screwed everything up on just Wednesday and then everything and like, then I screwed everything up <laughs> everything. I, your failure your failure riff to properly record your end of the podcast on Wednesday night was so sickening to me that I spent the entire <laughs> day yesterday sick oh, I went to bed it, at 3 p.m. but but Kevin fed you huh. some chicken soles and you're feeling much better now he did yeah yeah that's good where do you get those uh well you know at the poultry geist store <laughs> <clears throat> It's not a real store, Kevin. Sure. I mean, if you want them fresh. That didn't make any sense as a response to what I just said, Kevin. Well, no, you're, you're assuming that, that you buy real things at real stores. Guess that's true. Right. So if, it's, if yeah. you want something fake and you want it fresh, you've got to buy it somewhere that doesn't exist. Okay. I guess that's true. Yeah, you have to because go immediately if... to where they are daily making up new chicken soles. Exactly. Okay. Fair enough. What are you doing there? Fucking around on your phone? Uh, well, I was in the middle of doing business when uh, oh, really? when you business, started the podcast. Uh, what kind of business? business. Serious business. Uh, yeah, there's some weird dinner that we were sort of invited to go to uh, during the next GDC. Is it, is it an industry function? It was, uh, and then I went there, and I was like, and it's like, oh, actually, you're not invited. And then I was like, what? What? No, oh, that sounds like the kind of business I'm accustomed to. Yeah. So. Sometimes I go to a shoe store and I'm like, hey, I'd like to buy some shoes. And they're like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, you're not a shoe insider. That's, um, yeah, that's great. And I'm like, but I'm barefoot. And like, I know, that's why you're not allowed in here. I'm like, but how am I supposed to get experience without a job? And how am I supposed to get a job without experience? And they're like, go away, kid. Is that what they're like? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yep. Shoe stores, man. Only dicks work at shoe stores. Dicks and Al Bundy. Oh, I, th- I thought you said only dicks wear shoes. Yeah, also that's true. <laughs> I'm not wearing shoes right now. Neither are you. Riff, are you wearing shoes? I'm not. See? Okay. We're cool guys. We don't wear shoes. <laughs> uh, cool speaking guys of being don't cool look at guys, explosions and they walk away without <laughs> shoes. <laughs> Have you guys been doing any fun non-video game related things in the last couple uh, of weeks? I've been taking an online teach yourself JavaScript course. Oh, yeah? Yep. Cool. Off of CodeAvengers.com. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, that's or Code Academy, that's another one that's that's pretty good. It's uh, it's pretty good. They're they're super uh, super thorough. Like it started out with like absolutely no assumptions that you know a damn thing about programming. It like started you out teaching you like order of operations and simple mathematics. So huh, it's that's absolutely from the beginning, and it's, but it didn't first teach you how to read. Yeah, how to turn <laughs> yeah. on your monitor. I guess maybe that would have been a little too far. They, I, I guess, they assume that you already know that if you're on the website. First, but, it teaches you as a sperm how to reach the. <laughs> <way>. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's like lots. Let's. It's all learning through like, you know, tests and examples. And okay, so find the bug in this hunk of code and and that sort of thing. And there's a lot of repetition for reinforcement. And like the first half of the course is free, which is like forty lessons. I think it goes up oh, through functions before you even have to pay. And it's only like so fifteen bucks. They get you, bucks they get you like that. excited about it, and then they charge you. Is it like a billion dollars for the second half of the course? What's that? Is it a billion dollars for the second half of the yeah. course? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like fifteen bucks. So, so it's not bad. I, I with um, the next version of Unity, Unity four point three apparently has a new, like, really good two D uh, authoring tools as opposed to three D. And I've right. got this game idea in my head that I wanted to do, and since one of the one of the scripting languages that Unity accepts is not exactly JavaScript, but close enough to JavaScript that everyone just calls it JavaScript. So I figured right. it'd be good to learn. Cool. And it's going pretty good. So that's what I've been up to. JavaScript for me is like Perl in that every time I have to write something in JavaScript, it's like I'm starting from zero mm. and I ha don't remember. I have to like go back and look at JavaScript code that I have written in the past to figure out how to do stuff. What I do now is I just say, hey, Chris, write this JavaScript for sure. me yeah. because that's just a thing that he has in his head somehow. Is uh, is like space and, and like where you hit carriage return and stuff like that important in JavaScript? Because I, I could swear that I have written some JavaScript in the past that just did not work and then... I like deleted a bunch of spaces in it and suddenly it was working fine. No. Yeah, it shouldn't. It shouldn't, right? Well, I mean, like if you put spaces in the middle of, of variable names, sure, that, that will that make that it not work. Yeah. Right? So I can't <laughs> say what. There was something there was something weird with some code that just would I'm, not run. I'm sure what'll happen is that I'll remember it fine until I have to write something in KOL scripting language and then I will have to look up how that works again. And then the act of doing that will cause me to forget JavaScript. <laughs> and I'll just have to, every time I want to code anything, I'll have to look up what it was. I mean, I think it's just like stuff you do all the time right. is stuff that sticks with you. And like, fuck Perl, man. I'll use Perl when I have to. Man, I haven't written any Perl in like 10 years probably. And that is great. It's probably only been seven years or eight years. But still, that's yeah. great. I I was doing stuff that would have been really easy in Perl uh but I was doing it with PHP because that was the tool set that I had open in front of me the other day. All of your so. crazy list processing and encryption nonsense. Well, no, that's that. Yeah, that too. But that sort of needs to be in PHP. How about you, Zach? What have you been think, up to uh, in the past couple guys, of weeks? I don't think we can do this podcast anymore. I don't think we can do anything that involves a computer or a telephone or the internet anymore <laughs> because yeah. those technologies have just broken. Like, conceptually, they have broken. It's not like a computer is broken. They just all are. Yeah, just computers are broken. Computers is broken. The concept <laughs> of communicating with another person over a distance is just, no, forget it. I mean, you know what would solve this is if we hooked up the fucking landline at the office again. Yep. Sure. Because the internet is so unreliable that Skype just doesn't work. I've I've even got a sweet rotary telephone I could plug in if we had something that I could plug it into, besides like goes over, my butt. I tore, well sure, 
Are, would, are you plugging it into your butt? No, I wasn't. I, that, like, I didn't think that would you help. That, you could. If it doesn't do that click thing, that doesn't count as plugging it in. So unless oh. you put an actual RJ15 okay. yeah. I don't, I don't have, in your butt. I don't have an actual phone jack in my butt. But you, you could. I you could. could. I mean, and then it would be like a Play-Doh Fun Factory that only made really small rectangles. <laughs> huh. It'd be like French fries. <laughs> well, I mean, depending. If you ate French fries earlier, it would be like French fries. <laughs> Okay, now we have to stop doing this podcast for other reasons. You want you don't want to imagine a, a wired turd. I don't. Riff, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, good. I think we've solved all of your butt problems. <laughs> Great. <clears throat> there was a uh, so we had, we had to do a podcast on Wednesday, uh, and and for those people who are listening to this podcast that didn't listen to that one, uh, Riffs recording stopped halfway through or yeah. less than half less than half because i'm stopped. and there was a uh, there was a point in the podcast in, w- in which we asked riff are you still there and in real time he said yes but in the in the podcast that we recorded of course he had stopped recording and so we just released it anyway without his audio because <laughs> we had nothing else that we could do and uh that was on the heels of fucking up the previous uh, KOL show by me not recording my end past 49 minutes. So <laughs> yeah. we'll have to see. We'll have yeah, to see so if, well, this if, one, if the trend uh, continues, we'll get about 15 minutes in and something will, something will go awry. Maybe what we should do is just connect the, the bit of Scully recording without you to the bit of your guys recording without oh. me and see mm. if they happen to line up. Yeah, That's if I hadn't creepy. released, if I hadn't already released it without you, people have suggested now just re- releasing every podcast three times: one with <laughs> just me and me and Kevin, one with Riff, and then one with all three of us. And just we'll see, we'll see, we'll look at the stats yeah, and see, see which, which one's the most, the most popular. Yeah, see, yeah. see which one of us people like the most. <laughs> mm-hmm. See which one. See which ones of us are uh, are essential. So, to it. Wh- where did where did I cut out on that recording? Did thirty minutes? Thirty minutes was was the. Uh, was that before or after I, I defended my, my eating of cupcake wrappers? Because I feel like that was, the, that was the important bit that people hear. <laughs> I think we had the argument about it. People talked about how weird that argument was when it was one-sided. Yeah. Uh, okay. so, so. so if you'd like to defend your cupcake wrapper eating again <laughs> now... You're welcome to if you want to try to defend some indefensible horse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll wait until it comes up again naturally. I don't want to force it. Okay. okay. So, so you want us to install some sort of jack <laughs> so that we can track when it does come back up? So we went to Indicade. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was good. Riff didn't go to Indicade. No. Me and Kevin went to Indicade. I didn't go to Kevin, the, the I didn't go to the Indy Portland game. one either. People were playing oh, yeah, video games, games all games, over so. the place. Yeah, it was a it was a good weekend for games, I guess, uh, depending on which cities you lived in. Um, so Indiecade was in L.A. Uh, it was the seventh, I think, annual one. It's it's like a little festival for independent games, um, mostly digital games, but there were a couple of desktop games and some some fun sort of large format games. Um, and the first couple of days were like professional conference type situation. And then the last couple of days there was more of that, but then also this sort of like open to the public people can come and check out the various games. There were the conference stuff like 
all conference stuff in my it's experience was largely variable and largely bogus. Uh, I mean, there was a really good conference talk that we went to, and then there were some. But that, that was, was not like, on the. Hmm. That, no, that's not what I was talking about, though. I was saying the first two days. Oh, the, oh. the good one was the one that was during the festival itself. Well, but that's all that was, was all part of the same. Yeah, sequence of events or whatever. There was some. There was some really solid advice. Uh, given about like self-promotion and that kind of thing like getting getting it your information to press and how to deal with press oh man I met Troy Morrissey that guy whose name I made fun of who did the music for Gilded Youth it's more like sound effects there was there was there was not I think he did the music for or no maybe there wasn't music I don't know there wasn't a lot of music if there was did you you eventually played it I did play it well good Riff did you go back and play it Play what? Gilded Youth. Are you listening? Are you on the fucking podcast, Riff? I can barely hear you. <laughs> you can't hear us. Uh, Gilded Youth. No, I, I didn't go back and play that. It's good. It's, you can play it in a browser. It's very, it's very easy to play. You should, you should go find it on the internet. I think it's available outside of, the, outside of that experimental game pack. Anyway, so very easy to find. So yeah, there were conferences and panels, and they sucked, except for some of them, which, which didn't were, suck. Which were great, yeah. We met some awesome uh, fellow indie devs. Oh, we met Rod Humble, yeah. who is in, now in charge of Desura, and we met Satapari Desura, who is in charge of Humble Bundle. Huh. Sec- the second part of that wasn't true. Oh. But, but yeah, Rod Humble, super fucking nice guy. Yeah. He's like, I would yeah, hope whatever. so. <laughs> whatever, I'm the CEO of Linden Labs. <laughs> yeah. As part of the as part of the like uh, deal of being accepted, your your game being accepted to Indicate, uh, Desura offered to put all of those games on their service. Oh. they're like trying to be a competitor to Steam, huh, I okay. guess. Um, so which is going to be interesting. Word Realms on there, yeah, yeah. Nice. just because it was part of the festival. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. Like Desura is Desura and Gog are both really well positioned. For the point at which Steam fucks up and becomes MySpace, <laughs> right? Which maybe that won't happen. Sure. Pro- maybe even probably that won't happen. But <laughs> if it does, what it happens does. if Desura or Gog becomes MySpace first? But it won't matter. I mean, they can't because they've never been big enough to be like MySpace before MySpace went all MySpace. Huh. So you have to be a certain size before you can uh, totally go MySpace. I mean, for a while, everybody was all like, oh, man, Internet Explorer is the best. Sure. <laughs> That's true. I did. There was a period of my life that I used Internet yeah. Explorer. Yeah, and then you were all like, fuck that, Firefox. That's where it's at. Yeah. But then Firefox is all, I'm a lumbering behemoth. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, I, think Sorry, I, I leaked memory barely used Firefox. I think I went straight to Safari. Wow, really? I've always been, like, I never even used Internet Explorer. It was NCSA Mosaic, and then Netscape, and then Firefox. Well, there was a while where Internet Explorer was significantly better than Netscape. Right. Like, prior to Firefox, Netscape got really bogus. Anyway, Desura, maybe, someday, will be well-positioned to fill in the space that Steam leaves behind whenever they do something that pisses everybody off. And will be will be a game that's uh, in the giant back catalog of games that nobody yeah. ever looks at in <laughs> yeah, that exactly. service. Now we just need oh. to get on GOG. Yep. Well, Man, you and know Steam, what? But that's... Rod Humble should just start selling bundles of Desura games that he right. bills as Rod Humble's bundle. 
<laughs> it was weird because he's like the CEO of Linden Labs, and he just showed up personally to talk to every developer. I, mean, I don't think that Linden Labs is that big. He could bundle together some rods. And but so they have like, Rod Humble's they have like Rod a whole bundle. team that does all of the the work, right? He he did not he is not the one that's like taking all the information and putting sure. together our like, No, I guess it is weird that if you say, if you were sending like somebody to go liaison with developers as part of your plan. Like Gabe Newell doesn't show up to right. like invite people to put their games on Steam. Right. Right. Yeah. So I guess you're right. Although it's a much bigger company. I I don't know. I have no idea how big Linden Labs is. Because they keep buying other companies, right? Because they bought Desura. Also, either I'm terrible at looking at people and recognizing people and remembering what people look like, or Rod Humble got like a real serious haircut between the first time we saw him and the second time we saw him. <clears throat> Is that a thing you would do at Indicate if you were Rod Humble? I mean, if you're if you got an afternoon to fill, why not? Like, might, what should might I do? As well oh, I should just get a real real. Maybe stark your favorite uh, barber lives in L.A. Oh, so he only gets his haircut when he goes to L.A. Yeah, gotcha. Um, and we, yeah, anyway, we just, um, Linden Labs just bought Desura. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're making any money at this point. I have no idea. I mean, I, I would assume that it how, sounds like they have people going to their service and buying games off of it. So is that how Linden Labs makes its money now, or are people still actually paying money into I Second Life? Still still I think Second Life, Second, Second Life has remained profitable. Huh. I mean, I think it's one of those things like KOL where stuff like that doesn't go away. Uh, yeah, that's true. It just you kind get of, enough, it just you kind get of enough falls, people it kind of falls off the radar, but it's still, yeah, it's yeah. still, you know, it probably you doesn't take many people to run second life anymore. Who knows? The only, I don't know anything about second life except for that stupid shit that Jim did when they opened up the free demo or whatever. What did he do? I just made the people with weird shit floating over them and just ran around trolling everybody. Huh? I don't know. <laughs> it didn't make any sense then. And it makes no more sense after years of memory. Or lack thereof. I remember him making somebody that had just a giant screw and a giant baseball floating over their head. Yeah. And just running around like, look at me. He made like ball. the ugliest old woman that he could manufacture with the giant screw and giant ball over her head. Yeah. Weird. I don't remember any of this. Maybe he didn't show me. You probably was in Boston. Did the right thing, which was to not pay attention to, to, that <laughs> to live in a different city. Yeah, to live in a different city. Um, but yeah, we we then we went to some parties and things. Yep. Um, we got to hang out a lot with uh, Droken, the guy who made Starseed Pilgrim. That was, yeah. He was in the hotel room next to us, and was a was a fan of KOL from when he was in grade school. So that was gratifying. And then it was like, all right, yeah. We got, like, the inside scoop on what Starseed Pilgrim is about. Sounds like I'm joking, but we totally did, and it was awesome. Yeah, it was really great. Starseed Pilgrim rules. Uh, we hung out a lot with, with Alan Hazelden. Yeah, yeah, the guy that made Sokobond. And a bunch of other games, like Shit Snake and Shit Snake 2. Right. <laughs> Which are both good in different ways. Oh, man, and they told us about uh, another game by the Nidhogg guy, uh, yeah. which is called Fly, Fly Wrench, which is really simple, but really cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard. It's like it's like it's like a flapping game. Yep, um, a flapping where game. You, you yeah, cut your like, you cut your like hair joust. short. And Imagine you put joust. On, was, you know, <laughs> bangles. Joust was just a single player game, uh, where so the like walls were electrified, except flapping. 
Okay. And it's also like berserk in that you can't touch the walls. But okay, so so you're you're like a line. Yep. And your controls are move left and move right and flap and then dive. Flapping turns you red while you're flapping. Diving turns you green while you're diving. But you're also well, it's sort not of really rolling. diving; it's spinning because that lets you touch the walls. Yeah, you can you can hit the walls when you're green and spinning. You can go through barriers that are the same color as you. Yep. So some of the challenge is like you have to flap and then have enough momentum while you're still holding down the flap button to go upwards through the thing that is red, which yep. is flap color. It makes a lot of sense when you play it. Yeah, hmm. it's it's. It's hard. It's extremely difficult. That guy's website, I don't know what I expected, <laughs> but it's quite a website. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, man. <laughs> Nidhogg. Nidhogg was there in attendance at uh, Yeah, at, at Indicade. Saw cool. a lot of people playing it all the time. Also, uh, Killer Queen. Oh, yeah. Killer Jesus. Queens. Killer Queens is a good game. They're, uh, they're trying to figure out a way to make money off of this. They're, his, I guess this guy's plan is to create a new financially viable arcade environment hmm. which you know like it, doing things that are sort of crazy multiplayer like this is is an interesting tactic right because he's having a hard time figuring out how you could put this in, a, in an arcade and charge for it because I, the the game is best played with 10 players um, and if just one of those 10 players gave you one dollar but then like only who, one of those ten players. Who would be puts able up to the money for game. the game? Like, if you have like four friends at an arcade and you all sit down to play this thing, do you not? Does if somebody comes up and picks up an empty slot, do they get to play? So people who have no idea what we're talking about, which is to say, basically everyone. Everybody, Killer yeah. Queens is a game that we uh, we first played it at uh, California Extreme. California Extreme, yeah, the festival whose name I couldn't think of. Where it is, it's like Civ Joust. <laughs> It's not really Civ Joust. It's, so you start out, uh, there's five players on yep. each side, one of whom is a queen. And you can play, you know, you, you don't have to. They're like, all it's just sort of opt in at any bees. Point. They're not bees. They're bears until they go into the Iron Maiden and then they become what? like wasps. <laughs> I'm they're, pretty they, sure that's they, not they how they bees They look work. a lot like bears, but they're actually bees. They're bears. You, you, you start out and you're like a drone and you run around and jump and it's just plat- and it's yeah. like a big it's like a big joust style sequence of platforms yeah. with two sort of hives one on either side of the top separated by like a, an impassable wall yeah. and then there are these like grapes yeah. around the level that you can go get and take back up to your hive and if you fill all the spaces in your hive with grapes then you win you win an economic victory an economic victory you can also take a grape to an iron maiden uh, and then become a warrior where you can't pick up grapes anymore, but you can kill other dudes. And you also get and the, a like limited ability style. to fly. Okay, yeah. so that's your military victory. Can you get a... Uh, what's well, the military victory, victory is killing the opponent's queen three times. You No, you can get a snail victory, which yeah. is the cultural victory. <laughs> At the bottom of the screen, there is a snail, and a drone can also sit on the snail and just slowly ride it to the side. But any warrior can just instantly kill them while they're on the snail. Well, any, uh, any warrior can instantly can kill, kill them drones. anytime. Super yeah. easily, except for drones are just slightly faster than warriors, which is interesting. They can, but and also drones can only jump, whereas warriors can fly. So it's there's, the mobility is really interesting. The queen has one extra movement capability where she can dive bomb and attack. She has like a a sword that, or a stinger or whatever that she can point straight down. So yeah, everybody else's controls are just left, right, and button. Yeah, um, just two way joysticks. To, to and jump the queen or has a the queen has a three way joystick. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, the victory conditions are fill up all those spots with grapes. Uh, Economic. Get the get the snail into the goal. Snail. Or kill the other queen three times. Military. Which that happens really fast sometimes. Yeah, if this if the queen player is not very strong, the queen uh, also claims the iron maidens uh, for a particular side, and only that side can use them to become dr- to to become the the warriors to go from bear to wasp. Yes, to go from from drone to wasp. They're seriously fucking bears. Anyone who looked at it would say <laughs> that's a bear. Because here's the thing about about drone bees. Yeah. You say, no, 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 Zach, they're not bears, they're drone bees, because drone bees cannot fly. The other thing about them, they're not fucking biped mammals, like these <laughs> bears obviously are. <clears throat> All I'm saying is, I'm pretty sure that thematically they're meant to be drones, just because they look like bears does not make them bears. If they were bears, they would eat all the honey. That sounds counterproductive exactly. for the hive. Exactly. They want the honey because they are bears. These are like giant hives. That look at that snail. Yes. <laughs> it's really big. <laughs> yeah. So I guess this that makes it more Okay, they're tiny tiny bears. <laughs> they're like bee-sized bears. <laughs> oh, that's that sounds really cute. <laughs> It is a lot of fun. It, like, because of the multiple like win conditions, you can be like focusing on one thing, and the other team can just be like silently, like quietly moving the snail into the goal, and you won't notice it until it's too late. Or like, economic victories can sometimes happen without you even realizing what's going on. Because once you transform a bunch of your people into warriors, uh, if the other team hasn't done that, like they can potentially outmaneuver them with a bunch of regular bears uh, to to get the grapes into, and get the economic victory. So it's you have to kind of maintain a balance of all all the different kinds of creatures. Um, it's just it was really solid. It was the it was it won the developers' choice award. Like all the all the people who were there had who had games there voted on which game they thought was the their favorite, and it was uh, it was that one. So. <clears throat> that's actually a question like a bunch of games have become popular in recent years like Towerfall uh, which is out for the Ouya which is a four player like local um, sort of combat game and then there's um, Samurai, Samurai Guns I mean I wouldn't say that that has become popular well, you've been seeing it everywhere at, at fancy indie developer parties sure but there's and there's always a crowd of people around them but, and, and so what I wonder is are they popular with game developers and people sort of very tightly knit with the gaming community like are they going to be commercial successes like is, has Towerfall been really good on the Ouya I like I have no sense I think it's it was one of the few the first titles that really made a splash but i don't know how i mean that i think everybody is excited mind. for it to come out on a real platform so that yeah. they can play it um it was pretty fun i mean we, we played yeah. a game of it yeah um, i didn't precisely understand what was going on a lot of the time and you won but i won so yeah. that that was good <laughs> um, shoot arrows at dudes yeah you get a very limited number of arrows and i guess maybe there's a way to get arrows yeah back? I don't there know. are arrows in chests and you can pick arrows up that have been shot into walls and stuff oh i didn't know that yeah it was. I found it very hard, and plus it was in a big chaotic environment. I found it very hard at first blush to separate the sort of visual noise from the things that were relevant to gameplay, which is just a problem that I have with a lot of games. And it's a thing that I'm not... You don't normally get a lot of with like really heavily retro-graphic games like that. Because, because they, they, could, they didn't have to, any 
room to have. Yeah, but I mean now, but elements. now I mean you you end up with this aesthetic where all right, so everything is just like 16-bit sprites, but they're not actually like on pixels, so we can do all these weird shaders and shit with them, which looks really cool, but then it ends up with the just noise problem. Huh. Again. You know, the particle effects that are like not not real. Again, not on pixel, right? Like it, yeah, I don't know. I guess that doesn't matter so much, but your your d- demands that everything be uh, pixel perfect, yeah, are uh, are interesting. Hotline Miami is gross. Having things that are like a four by four grid of pixels and then you rotate it by like five degrees on the screen is fucking gross. It just makes like jaggy lines sweep across stuff, and it looks like a gross, broken television. Uh, but that's their aesthetic. I mean, that's their yeah, whole... their gross aesthetic. Well, <laughs> I mean, they also their their color palette is gross. Like they like they are trying to. Oh, be that gross. no, that color palette is perfect. <laughs> I can't, I don't know. The hot pink and the... Yeah, why not? Sure. Orange and the browns and the weird greens and stuff. Yeah. That is not nearly as objectionable as the jaggies. Huh. Okay. What about the blood splatters everywhere? You forget that I grew up in the 80s. Where you just There was nothing but blood and neon. Okay. (laughs) Blood and neon is my new uh, William S. Gibson cover band. Um, so I was going to go through the list of uh, nominees for uh, oh. the, the, just the list of all of the games that were in Indicates as a combination, like what we have to talk about from that and what we what we have been playing. Um, okay, Riff, first, have you been playing any video games? Yeah, I played a bunch of them actually. Um, the let me see, I played a little bit of uh, Surgeon Simulator and I played a bunch of Animal Crossing, but the the actually new things that I played are okay. Well, the first one isn't new at all. The I played through since the uh, 20th anniversary of Mist was recently, so I played through um, Riven on the iPad, okay, uh, which turned out to be really nice. It's the touch controls are are really uh, well suited to it, and the graphics still look really good. Like even on th- on the Retina display, it was it was a little bit pixely, but once you got used to it, it still looked. Uh, still looked really nice, and it's still a fun game. Was so, it off by like five degrees? Nah, no, no, it, it was. It was. It was correct. Um, they should make the Hotline Miami guys do a remix of Riven, where everything is just super whoa. violent and super. Pink. That would be weird. Hotline Riven. Every, I would. I don't know where they're gonna find a place to put in enough blood. I guess if you could go to the village and instead of the villagers running away and you never get to interact with them, you could throw a baseball bat at them. Mm-hmm. Then Isn't there like an Ooga Booga guy that yells at you in the very first scene of Riven? Uh, yeah, you when you first appear, you're locked in a cage and a guy jabbers at you in, in a foreign language and then gets but knocked he out dressed, by like some I, mysterious In my memory, guys. he's dressed like a witch doctor. Uh, no, he's got sort of like a like a rough military uniform. I think, yeah, I think you're having a problem, Zach. Where everyone in your memory is dressed like a witch doctor. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, how was I dressed the last time you saw me, Zach? 
Yeah, like a witch doctor. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the issue. And what's weird, I mean, my favorite thing about my wedding is how the entire wedding party was dressed like witch doctors. <laughs> well, that actually happened. <laughs> it was the theme. Yeah, that's the, that, that is why your life has been so confusing, <laughs> is half the time we do dress like witch doctors. <laughs> oh, okay, so now you're just fucking... Oh, no, man. no, we're just trying oh, this to must be, provide this is like some a really expensive prank. <laughs> Oh, I think uh, I think my the best part of uh, the best part of the Monday KOL podcast was lost to the sands of time when I got I got the best spam email, which was just the subject line was coolest prank recorded it was K E W L E S T, and then it was just an embedded YouTube video that had been removed from YouTube. It was like, <laughs> wow, that really was the coolest prank. I mean, the coolest coolest prank. <laughs> Oh man, I, guys, I just got pranked. Something fierce. Um, so Riven, my memories of Riven: a, everybody dressed like a witch doctor. Yeah. <laughs> B, you, it was that it it Riven is the prime example in my mind of the thing that I hate about puzzly games, where you are presented with a puzzle, but you don't know whether or not yeah you have, have the, tools the necessary it. tools. My to solve my it. experience with it was that. That is, is well, for me anyway, that's not as much of a problem in Riven because it's all information-driven. Like in a LucasArts game where you've got an inventory full of junk and the the puzzles are based around, you know, use this random item with this other random item, like Honey on the Cat Hair gets gets you a mustache, <laughs> then, then that is definitely a problem because you you end up having to use everything on everything else and you don't know if you have the item that you need to solve this puzzle or not because it's completely non-obvious. But, but I think with the information ones, it's especially because so much of what you're supposed to do in a Myst game is figure out what... Like, the machines in Myst are not super complicated. It's just that they're presented in a way that is non-intuitive, right? Because they're they're meant to be alien. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's even worse where it's like, all right, am I supposed to be able to figure out based on some observable aspect of these pictograms, what they mean? Like I remember in Riven, there's that there's that like toy that teaches you the number system. Uh Right. And it, I don't know that it was clear to me that that was an educational thing rather than another puzzle. Like, I have I have comparatively few memories of Riven. Like, well, I have a bunch of memories of Riven. Like, there's the there's the thing where the you rotate the room inside with the various doors on it on the outside. Mm-hmm. There's some hallway where there's like a map that made out of a bunch of different. There's like a thirty by thirty grid of buttons you can press. That is, huh. uh, it's it's a. Um it's a 25 by 25 grid of divots that you have to distribute five marbles into. That's like one of the major meta puzzles of the game. And that's supposed, I've never actually played Riven. So oh, you should. It's terrible. It's, it's good. It's, it's like, like it. what it is, is a bunch of like long ass roller coaster rides. Yeah. Then you have to swap CDs and then you get to somewhere else and you have no idea what the fuck is going on. So then you <laughs> eventually just quit. It's, it is, it, I would like to actually see the graph of what information you need to solve puzzles on what islands and like where you get that information, because I'm guessing that it is not nearly as just impossibly convoluted as it seemed like to me. 
when I played it the first time. So here's a question. Why was Counterfeit Monkey acceptable to you, given that there are dozens and dozens of objects that can be used on each other to create well, like literally hundreds of things in the game. Because, because I knew that the author was generally more concerned with story stuff than game stuff, I knew, I, I had this belief that the game stuff was going to be fairly simple, right? Okay. Because she does not make crazy hard puzzles. I so knew that there would not be any crazy hard puzzles. Also, more about the, your brain state than the the, the biggest the biggest difference between Counterfeit Monkey and Riven is that in Counterfeit Monkey it didn't take ten minutes to get from one place to another place. It took okay three yeah seconds. The, the traversal in Riven uh, gets a little bit complicated as as you go through it. You start unlocking like you know you you unlock the the other direction of the hoop so you can get from the first island to the last island relatively quickly but it's still if you if you realize that you did not find the the last sphere that you need to find and you need to go back and get whatever information that has on it it can take you a little while to get back to that island but eh, i mean it's just it looks good while you're going there (laughs) why is every video game on an island well, because that it gives you an obvious place to stop walking. Yeah, it's a it's a natural seeming constraint. Right, it's either that or I mean, either that or some fakey stuff where you know, I mean, like Fallout isn't on an island, and you get to the edge of the map, and it's like, hey, you can't go any further in that direction because video games. Right. Right. I mean, also because Washington D.C. is not an island. <laughs> sure. That was a Robert Frost poem, I think. <laughs> um. Had you did you originally play Riven without spoilers, Riff? I needed one spoiler uh, because when the first time I played it, I did not. Um, uh, well, since Kevin hasn't played it, I don't want to spoil it. Um, there, there, there. There's a sound cue that exists in a certain place that I didn't notice, and and therefore was not able to connect to bits of information that that I had but that I needed to connect to solve a thing and and huh. did not figure that out before I ran out of patience and looked it up. Did you do that this time or was that the first time you played it? That was the first time. This, this time I remembered about that. I see. Because I feel like I essentially got nowhere. I beat Mist with a buddy not ever looking up any well i mean because there weren't really there wasn't really an internet then um but riven i just was i just kind of i spent a lot of time wandering around and i didn't think that like i didn't like not enjoy my time poking around and playing with that stuff because environmentally it was really interesting and just kind of aesthetically but i never i don't feel like i ever solved any even marginal aspect there's really only like two puzzles that I would call puzzles rather than just like puzzles in the sense of where do I go now? Oh, if I close this door that I went through, it turns out it was blocking another doorway. So, but Hmm. things that I would actually consider puzzles, there's only like two of them in the entire game. In Riven? Yeah. I mean, how many puzzles would you say there are in Mist? Yeah, wow. Uh, hmm. I guess... A bunch? 
or zero. Well, hmm. I mean, all the uh, all the codes that you need to know to make the gateways work are just sitting right there in the tower that you spin around. I don't know. There might not really be any puzzles in Mist. Okay, I think that this is just a failure of your ability to use the word puzzle in a comprehensible yeah, way. Maybe. <laughs> it's also been a while since I played Mist, so I might be forgetting some stuff. I guess there's that I mean, maze, if you consider a maze to be a puzzle. Are, are adventure games where you have to combine, you know, cat hair with honey, is that a puzzle or is that not a puzzle? Uh, that particular one is a bullshit, but I guess that's a puzzle. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that you can definitely say that, like, figuring out your location in a space and understanding, uh, like, having yeah. a doorway that's hiding another doorway, forcing you to realize that you have to close a door is interesting. And that's that's a kind of puzzle. That's a kind yeah, of way yeah. of obfuscating. And also, when I say there's only two puzzles, I mean that in a, like, those those two puzzles are each made up of several hunks of information that you need to find and recognize. So they're sort of meta puzzles. But I mean, I just guess, like, every machine that does something and you have to figure out how to get it to do it, I would consider a puzzle in Mist, right? I mean... Yeah. Generally, like, piecing together how this environmental machine works. Yeah, yeah. And then doing with it whatever it is that you're supposed to do with it. I remember yeah. there being some crazy, like, hooking up steam pipes to stuff in Riven in some sort of a bog that just was, like, yeah, I don't know. It kind of has that classic problem where it just doesn't give you the right kind of feedback. And so it's, like, just a lot of just kind of trial and error which is fine if it doesn't waste a bunch of your time. Sure. And Riven, I feel like, just wastes a bunch of your time. Hmm. Um, anyway, what else have you been playing? Um, let's see. I also played Riffin. through uh, SteamWorld Dig on the 3DS. Yeah. Well, not played through. I haven't finished it, but I'm, I'm at, like, I think I'm near the end of the last world. So It's um, good. Yeah, it's super good. I've been really enjoying it, and I think that I think it may be inspiring my ideas of what of what I want to build in Unity. So it's a pretty sweet game. It's really nicely uh, balanced and everything, like the like how uh, like how ladders are really powerful, but instead of making them expensive, they balance them out by only letting you carry a small number of them at a time. And, and never, how the how the, the areas that you're digging through get slowly more complicated as you get deeper and as you progress through the worlds. And I mean, and you're stuff. in some sense you're also creating the levels, right? By, yeah, by yeah. digging stuff out. But but that's the, yeah, because as you as you get deeper into the game it starts throwing more and more wrenches into your creation of that level. Because, I mean, to begin with, the only obstacle you really have to deal with is, like, rocks that will fall if you dig all the dirt out from underneath them. But as you get further along, you get, like, larger patches of stone that you can't dig through or large open spaces that will interrupt your your flow of tunnels or you know, acid that drips through it and stuff like that. So yeah, it's pretty good. It's a, it's pretty straightforward and, and simple. So I don't, I don't know that I have a lot to say about it, but anyone that hasn't like played grindy, it and has a 3DS definitely should. It's grindy, but not too grindy. I mean, I, like, yeah. you know, 
It's. I think it's a better game than I dig it, and I yeah, think it was a I pretty agree. good game. I really wish. I really wish that I knew what the first game was that works like this. That like, genre. Yeah, they were basically like every one of these games is just clones of this one sort of freeware PC game, but I don't remember what that game the, is called. The earliest one I could think of that it reminded me of was uh, Dig Dug. Yeah, but I mean, Dig Dug didn't have any upgrades or economy. Yeah, stuff, right? you but didn't you didn't dig up point, gems though. to take back or anything. It was just the tunnels and the monsters. Well, sure, okay, but I mean, you could argue that that thing is a descendant of Dig Dug. But this sure. specific old PC game that I am thinking of had basically all of the mechanics of this, like was upgrading your dudes so that you could go before or after Dig Dug. I think Boulder Dash was after. No, Dig I never Dug. played I mean, that Boulder makes sense, Dash because it's sort of a more refined game. I think. Hmm. And what else, Riff? Uh, the other thing of note that I played was, uh, if I remember correctly, it's called Raven Legacy of a Master Thief. Right. Uh, it's on. Uh, it's on Steam. It's a uh, sort of a modern uh, LucasArts style adventure game, where instead of being like pixel sprites, it's 3D guys that you're moving around first person style. Um, it's sort of an Agatha Christie-style story. The, your character is this, uh, this Swiss policeman who's a big murder mystery fan, and it's like his sort of dream to be the sort of Hercule Poirot character, and he gets tangled up in this uh, case involving this master thief and the French... Uh, uh, the French detective, who is this guy's nemesis, so to speak. So it's a, it's a pretty good. I, I played through like the first chapter of it, and it's. Uh, I was really impressed with the writing. Everything's, uh, everything's well written, and there's like some really clever lines and so forth. And the uh, the voice acting is is all either good or at least suitable. Like there's there's nothing that caused me to cringe or anything. And the puzzles are uh, pretty reasonable. So when you say puzzles, do you mean nothing or bullshit? <laughs> uh, no, they're it's they're uh, you know they're they're LucasArts style adventure game puzzles, but they're they're good examples of the genre. Okay. So, uh, so, all right. So the yep, definitely worth checking out if you like that sort of game. So uh, what do, what do you guys been playing other than indie bears versus uh, bees? There was that game Code, which is like a roguelike where you are an at sign running around some code and you have to bang into things to change lines of code. Impossible to, to search for on the internet. Yeah, for what for what it's worth. Hmm. Well, this guy's name is pretty easy to find. Sure. Um, you played uh, you played one of the ninety nine tiny games. Oh yeah. Right, we did that thing where you have to, uh, where, where these were all just like games that were like physical games that were described in these sort of stepping stone stickers on the ground yeah. in various places. And this one was like one person closes their eyes and the other person strikes a pose and then asks, then the person whose eyes are closed, yes or no questions ten. about the pose. Ten yes ten, or no questions yeah. about the pose to try to duplicate the pose. Yeah. And that was pretty fun. And then they open their eyes and see how close they it, are. It makes it so a lot of people who are walking by when you're doing it come up and say, what are you guys doing? And then they want to do it too. Yeah. So that, hmm. that's a hallmark of a pretty good game, right? It was interesting, the focus that indicated on, I mean, not the focus, but the extent to which non-video games were represented. Yeah. 
right? It seems like they go out of their way to to I think they call just want, in a bunch it, of stuff. Yeah, they want a bunch of variety, which I think is great. Uh, there was that deadbolt, for instance, which is just kind of like an emotional communication sure. sitting around a table game. Yeah, um, which we didn't look at. We, Did we watched you, a we watched a speech by the the lady who made it. Yeah, Elizabeth Sam Pat or something. Um, did you see the constellation at all? No. That was at one of the. Night see the games. constellation is one of my favorite. They might be giant songs. Right. <laughs> um, the there was a whole segment of the games that were invited there that were called night games that were played sort of just just at one on one night on Saturday night of the festival, um, and and constellation was one of them. The the way that that game is played is you project uh, a screen up on the the roof or the ceiling, I guess, um, and you have a PlayStation Move controller that uh, you are just sort of pointing at stars and, and just drawing out constellations with another person next to you. And that's the entire game. It's just, hmm. there are a bunch of stars and you're just, like it's, and it, it maps to the real. So it's like a finding clouds that are shaped like dicks. Well, it's, it's star, I think, I think the, con- the conceit is that it's stars from the actual sky and you are just making up your own constellations with them. That's uh, interesting. Sort of. In a collaborative way, yeah. It, it it I was like, you know, this is a really neat two-player activity to just sort of see what you come up with and like explore what's possible. And I, it seemed really cool, and the music was really pretty. Um, but yeah, we saw some player, some people playing Edgar Rice Soiree. Yeah, uh, which is like a bunch of PlayStation Move controllers of different colors hung on strings from the ceiling, or I mean the roof, and. Uh, there were a lot of PlayStation Move controller games. It seems yeah. like JS Joust uh, spawned, uh, although Edgar Rice Soiree was made by the same people that made JS Joust. Yeah. Um, I don't actually know how the game worked. Yeah, you were, you're somehow trying to like take over territory by like m- mating y- y- the, the controllers of your particular color, and eventually the whole room is the person who wins color, but I don't, I don't know the rules of that either. I know you can like bump people out of the way, and you can like block their progress by trying to isolate their colors or something. Um. We played uh, this iPad game called Ephemerid, which is uh, just a sort of a no UI uh, kind of fun game. Well, it's is it a rhythm game? It's not really a... I don't it's, know if it's a rhythm game or not. It's like... You match music. You do, like, you do stuff sort of in time with music, right? Like... Yeah, I only I only got to play it for a few minutes before the thing started, but it starts out with you like sort of moving leaves out of the way to discover the level, the letters in the title. Right. Uh, which actually that reminds me of some other game that we played recently where I specifically took a note like that was cool how revealing the letters in the title. Starseed Pilgrim? Did cool things. No. Oh. That was cool, but it wasn't that that was cool. I see. Um but then it just got it started like sending different colored stars in and you had to kind of grab them and hurl them at these points at which gravity would draw that color of star and the sound was neat and okay. yeah i don't know that seems cool um gunpoint was exhibiting there met tom francis he's a he's a, an officer and a gentleman hermit crab in space is a game like did you play riff uh captain tomorrow captain forever um it's like you're building a spaceship out of individual chunks oh, of yeah, spaceship. i did play that yeah, yeah. okay uh, this is like a this is like a sort of a simplified, polished version of that hmm. on the PS Vita. Like what's, you, what's it called again? Hermit crab in space. You, hmm. um, I don't know if it's for sale or not. It's a good question. You 
blow up other ships, and then their pieces are just kind of floating around. And then you, if you grab those with the with the touch screen, yep. and stick them onto your ship, and then you can rotate them around, and then assign what button controls them. Yeah. And he said in early builds of the game, you couldn't undo that, and I was treating it like you couldn't undo that. So when I accidentally fucked up, and I like put some thrusters on one side of my ship. That, had, that I had si- assigned to the right trigger and some on the other side of my ship that I assigned to the left trigger, but then I <laughs> fucked it up and just made it so instead of being able to turn right better, I could turn Spin right or real turn well. kind of left. Because yeah. turning right also activated some of the left thrusters. Uh, but then he was like, you can reconfigure those. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that's less interesting. Um, it's It was pretty fun. It I, was. I enjoyed, I enjoyed playing it. I would have liked if it had been a little harder, although I understand that for a demo... like. I just I got bored before I lost, and that's always that's a, <laughs> that's a something that I kind of don't like about games that are meant to be sort of short. I I definitely found like as I got closer and closer to the like home that you're trying to get to in the game that that the number of, and strength of the enemies got pretty significant. So maybe you just didn't play it long enough to not to get on board. Yeah, I don't know. Oh man! Uh, speaking of Kentucky Route Zero, we also went to space. I mean, just to oh, space. Yeah. We went to a spaceship factory. Uh, we got to tour SpaceX right before Indicate, and that was, was fucking rad. Yeah, it was. And fucking uh, great. the Kentucky Route Zero part of that is the SpaceX factory is in a giant, like a former Boeing uh, airplane factory, and inside that space they have built an office building because they ran out of <laughs> office space. So they were just like, oh, "I'm just going to build a building inside this building." Yep. Yo, dog. I heard you like working. <laughs> There's actually a bunch of like sectioned off space in that in that giant warehouse because oh, they man, have like you know a... what would have been even more Kentucky Route Zero is if the building inside the building had had a ceiling that just opened onto the sky or that was just so upside down, like, rained inside. Or- yeah, sideways for no reason. Or like, there's people in there. If you go in one door, but then if you go in the other door, they're all gone. Or <laughs> yeah. they're all bears. Yeah, bears. You go up to the bear bears. floor. <laughs> But you can't actually tell if they're bears or bees. It's, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, my parents never really had that talk with me. About right. the bears and the bees. Let me get my EpiPen out. I'm allergic to bears. <laughs> uh, I looked a little bit. I saw a little bit of Quadrilateral Cowboy, but then I was like, I do not want to know anything about this until it is time to play it. So I I watched it. a good 10 minutes of it and did not learn anything about it. I don't oh, yeah. think mm-hmm. there was there was a section where you were driving around and people were you would get seen sometimes and that was apparently bad but yeah I, and then I, we talked to we talked to jake who had seen a bunch of it and we were like yeah like everything we saw was like driving around in a car and he was like what there's no cars in that game yeah so i don't know maybe it's a game that everybody can look at and see a different game <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it just keeps changing uh we met the save the date guy he's yep. nice Chris and Cornell. it was uh that was cool to talk to him about it. we talked to him about a bunch of other if games and he, when we we uh, mentioned, uh, I mentioned uh, slouching towards Bedlam to him, and he was like, no, I didn't play it because I was suddenly afraid. It was like, oh, wait, fuck. I thought this was an original idea I had, but maybe apparently everybody's done this over and over again. Yeah, he was really afraid that, that his game would be laughed at because it was a like a trite idea that everyone had already seen or it's done. Totally not, except for Skyrim. I don't right. know if you've heard of it. It's this little indie RPG. That apparently, if you read the stories, it's like, oh yeah, the Dragonborn can totally save and load. <laughs> uh, Bond, yep. which I did not, I still did not play. You should, you should buy it in, and get frustrated in the first couple of levels and then never play it again. Okay, good. What's it on? Uh, PC right now. It'll eventually be iOS, I think. 
I think it would be really well suited for iOS, so I'm I'm looking forward to that time. Oh man, look, Starseed Pilgrim, their aspect ratio is all fucked up on their screenshot too, so we're in good company. <laughs> um, I actually played a little bit more. I apparently lost all my progress on Starseed Pilgrim at some point. Oh, that sucks. I don't know where it gets saved because I like after you know a couple of weeks ago my hard drive crashed, my my uh, OS drive crashed. It's probably it's, it's probably in the, whatever your flash memory is because it's basically just a flash game. Oh yeah. Right. Uh, let's see. Towerfall. We talked about Towerfall a little bit. Uh, there's a bunch of other stuff that I didn't see there that I probably should have. So the digital selects, the part of the game that, uh, the part of the festival that Word Realms was in. Uh, there were seven, seven grand steps was being demoed right next to us, and those guys weren't there, and the game was just crashing all the time, and nobody played. Oh. It. And eventually, I think somebody else just started using that. Computer so for you were, you weren't able to uh, confront anyone and ask them, "What are we missing what that was supposed to make this game fun?" No, no. somebody stole the power cord to their laptop. Oh, nice, nice. So <laughs> well, I mean. Nobody was. Yeah, there was nobody. That is like that not a game that you can Makes, walk up to at a festival and play for five minutes. Yeah, it was very confusing. Yeah, they, like, that that's that's surprising that they would not have anybody there to to walk people somebody, through it. Somebody was there at the festival because between the first and second day, a bunch of plastic little alligators appeared at the laptop. Which, you know, thematically makes sense with the, the game, but... Well, I mean, all that means is that someone someone with access to alligators was there. No, it, it doesn't necessarily... Like, they weren't, like, they weren't, like, Mouse Chief branded plastic alligators, right? True. That is true. That's that's their, their revenue model for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Color Zen is a kind of a cool puzzle game. It's... It is, I guess, a technically a puzzle game, but it is not hard. You're just saying that because it's so easy to figure out any given puzzle that there yes. isn't any challenge to it. I mean, I think that maybe that is true for you. I think that's true for somebody who just immediately grocks and internalizes the rules of a thing. It, it's basically the way that it works is that way. you... It gets harder. In the, did you play through into the second set of levels where it started putting white? I did. I played all the way through so, those, and okay. I got into the levels where there's protective shields and then and then levels where uh moving one object causes other objects to move because, hmm. because so there's like just objects properties. of different colors some of which are connected to each other some of which are just freestanding and basically you when you bang two colors when you bang a color into itself it expands and wipes out everything that's exposed that is that color um sort of yeah and your goal is to match the exterior border color at the end and, so and have no becomes, and have no yeah, and have nothing else it. left it, it ends up just being this kind of order of operations thing and like yeah it is simple but it's you know i mean it's like not for you i mean you know it's i not, have played a bunch of it so sure. uh, it's it's i was really excited by the possibility of it and i feel like they could have made a really tricky puzzle game out of it but instead they made something that was sort of like looked neat and was very accessible and and it's also possible that there are harder puzzles cool music and sound coming or later maybe yeah or maybe there's an editor and you could make your own hard ass sure okay uh we we were uh we it's were there free, next to Gravity but it has a Ghost. weird well it has it's what is their weird model well so if you so like everything is divided into different chapters if you complete a chapter which is 20 levels, it will give you the option to look at an ad and unlock five additional levels, or sorry, 10 additional levels. Um, 
and then you can unlock five levels at any time by looking at a like an actual video ad like best buy ad kind of thing um and so you could theoretically unlock and play the whole game completely for free or you can pay them a buck to unlock a hundred levels at a time um so is 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 a dollar worth it to you to save um Four, four minutes of life. Ten minutes. Ten minutes of not watching commercials. Yeah. You know, it's so weird that, like, that that seems so gross in a way that, like, television when we were kids did not seem gross. Yeah, it's, it's strange, right? Because, like, this is just an extremely in-your-face being like, here I am trading you some value for putting an ad in front of your, your face in the same way that television it's kind of sneaky about, right? It's like, we're going to break up this show into parts so that you um, can only see part of it at a time. And in, in those breaking, in those broken bits, are we going to put um, ads for dog bacon and stuff? I feel like the, the television commercials seem less sleazy simply because we're used to it. Well, also they're kind of, they're more television, right? They're like, a lot of them were entertaining in their own right, right? So they, which is true of video ads on the internet. It is exactly as true of commercials on the internet as it was of commercials on television. Depends on the, depends on the ad, right? There have been, and I, and I realize that this makes me part of a problem, but there have been YouTube ads that I have actually watched all the way through because I wanted to see where, they were going with the gag sure, that they had presented. Sure. And that to me is like, why is that uh, making you part of the problem? Oh, I don't know. You're, you're just, feeding into the, yeah, cause I just voluntarily machine. watched an advertisement. I mean, you know, yeah, because, because I have an ethical obligation to using ad blocker, I guess that makes me part of a problem. Did you say objection or obligation? Objection. I have an okay. ethical uh, objection okay. to using ad blocker. I thought you said you had an ethical obligation to use. Yeah, that's ad what blocker. I heard. No, that's because that's what you guys feel like you have. I don't use ad blocker, so yeah, I don't know good. what your problem is, pal. You also use a Mac, so you don't like you don't there get all no, the spyware no that you're supposed to get. Ads. <laughs> yeah, there's no. I use ad blocker, but I I turn it off on sites that I respect. So. Huh. So you're like a thief, but you only steal from Republicans. I only steal from people I hate, yes. Okay. Yeah, so Republicans. Yeah. Uh, we Gravity Ghost. I didn't play Gravity Ghost. I looked at Gravity Ghost. It looks it looks pretty. Yeah. I'm I'm excited to play it uh, when it finally comes out next year. Oh man. I played Pivot, that game that you talked about. That's yeah. good. It is it's good. a good game. It's hard. It's like it's it's a different take it. on the super hexagon style of game. Which is probably a take on some other style of game that I'm just not thinking of. Yeah. The um, Super Twitch games. Yeah. It's it's rough. It spins around and you, you, you lose track of which way is clockwise and which way is counterclockwise. And then there's just a bunch of different things that it throws at you. Have you have two controls are... in the game, which is just to rotate clockwise and rotate counterclockwise. And you would think that that would be super simple, but it is just fucking not. It is just so hard to keep that straight. Uh, there is uh, there was Potato Man seeks the truth, which was right next to us. They set up their laptops on these giant piles of potatoes, and if you beat the game, you got a potato. <laughs> yeah. Was it more potatoes than they could carry? Uh, <laughs> was. There was a lot of potatoes there. Yeah. 
Uh, and actually, the third laptop was just on top of a giant pile of dead skin cells. Right. Um, but it is just a straightforward platformer. Uh, it's not entirely straightforward. It's There are elements of the game which respond to your actions. So, like, there's a bunch of bats flying around, and based on what you do, their behavior changes, and sometimes, like, I was talking to the developer, and he's like, it's, yeah, it's fascinating. Sometimes people will get in these weird feedback loops where they'll do the same thing over and over again, trying to, like, assuming that the bats will change their behavior, but because they're doing the exact same thing again, the bats, the bats react exactly yeah. the same way every time. It's made by the people that made uh, Dino Run and then a ton of games for Adult Swim, like yeah. uh, Mountain Maniac and stuff. And uh, it's like just really straightforward visual aesthetic and just simple gameplay that's just, it's just video game. You know, it's yeah, just, it's pure, it's really pure video game. It's, it's, it seems like a really good game. I did not uh, play through much of it. I mean, it seems like a kind of a play it once and you're done thing, right? Like, it's not it's not a really good game in the same way that, like, Spelunky is a really sure. good game. I wanted to see more about Project Holodeck, but I just did not get a chance. It looked really cool. You had to have a... you were There was, like, a guy wearing a helmet, and they had, like, a big space where he was running around. And this was, like, our chance to use an Oculus Rift. We, there were times yeah. when there was no line to use the Oculus Rift, but we were both just like, eh, I got better shit to do. <laughs> Uh, I played some scale, which I found really frustrating. Um, it seems like it had a ton of potential, but like also a ton of just kind of debilitating technical issues. I I have definitely noticed that there's some some serious clipping questions to be answered. I mean, it so so like it starts out. The first, the first level is you go and you find like a house that's really tiny and you need some scale juice to make the house bigger. So you got to like shrink some trees and some clouds and stuff to charge your gun up with scale juice. And then you can make the house bigger so that you can go inside it and start walking around. And then you go inside that house and there's another tiny house on a shelf and you grab that house and take it outside and make it big. And then there's like a treasure chest attached to a, to a scale, like a weighing scale and you have to put something on it that weighs 10 to beat the level. So what you have to do is go out, shrink the original house, carry it, in, carry it into the new house, and put it on the scale, because it's the only thing that's like dense enough to, to weigh that much. Like you can you grab a tree or whatever and take it in there and put it on the scale, but you can't get it big enough and heavy enough at the inside, same time. You can't get it big enough inside the house. But the problem is like you will go into a house... And then, like, the door is not really functional. It's just partly ajar. And so I'm carrying this little house, but you can't get out of the house that you're in unless you, like, put the little house down and make the house that you're in slightly bigger while you're standing in it to make the doorway slightly bigger. Because, like, you could get through it, but you couldn't get through it while you were carrying something. And then when you do that, the little house just falls through the geometry and out of the world. Or Oh, that sucks. Like... Mm. It, just a lot of the time stuff was just I would put something down and then I would turn around and I'd turn back around and it was just gone and like, I, I definitely fell through the bottom of the house and just <laughs> fell back into the into the world and was like huh and I mean it's it's such a cool conceit for a game but it's like that shit has got to get nailed down or it is not going to work at all like the second yeah. level was about sort of getting, a, getting on top of a butterfly and then making it bigger so that it would be moving faster so that you could ride it over to this island but like it was so difficult to change the size of the butterfly without falling off of it that it was just like, 
I mean, the the graphics have definitely been polished up a bunch, uh, but I saw the the basics of this game in a in a sort of experimental gameplay session back in 2012, like early 2012. So it's been it's been working on it a long time. So yeah. I'm I'm surprised that there are those kinds of issues, but maybe that's you know maybe you deal with clipping kind of stuff late in the cycle. I, I really don't have a sense of how that works. Um, so yeah. yeah. So that was Indicade and what we played and what I played. I don't know that I played much of anything else except you know just the usual Spelunky and Hearthstone. Oh yeah. Um, my uh, my computer crashed and so all of my games weren't there anymore. Oh. And I had to. Well, I mean they they in to a large extent were there. They just weren't really playable. Mm-hmm. I had a really significant amount of trouble getting Steam back up and running after I replaced my OS drive and 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 reinstalled Windows on it. And that was not my experience the previous time. I, I like I was super pissed. I went to play Spelunky again and my single player progress had been reset. But luckily I was able to look it up and just find that there's just a file in the Spelunky directory that's your save data. So mm-hmm. I was able to transfer that over from the old Steam directory on my data drive. But I thought that it would just like, all right, well I just know where all these files are, so here your games are still installed, but it just didn't it was so not having it when I tried to get it to do any of that stuff. It was weird. It was weird how hard it was to get Steam running. Made me sad. And now we can just never do a podcast on my desktop again. Because also that's all fucked up for some yeah, stupid reason. super strange. I probably just installed Windows slightly differently than I did the previous time, and it made everything not work. Is that something you have control over? It's like... Probably. I'd like to install Windows five degrees off axis my curse <laughs> is not a thing that i have any control over but hey um speaking of hey hey kevin do you have any other games you want to talk about i do actually fine <laughs> uh, i played i played a handful of other games um i i had not picked up starseed pilgrim until mm. last week um and it is a great game it is super super interesting um it is kind of a puzzle platformer that you construct all the platforms uh which is super neat and it's it's like this weird systemic game that most of the game is like figuring out the systems and then how to exploit them and then like just noticing all of these subtle interactions and and like rules about how the systems work and then the exploration of that and then as you make progress like some of the you you are put in situations where the rules change a little bit and then having to figure out how that's going to affect your ability to make progress and then there's actual puzzles sort of your reward for making a bunch of progress is that you get to solve some actual puzzles um which is just cool it's just i've, I've been having a good time i'm, I'm maybe 20 percent of the way through the like puzzle section and a bunch of the way through like the the earlier bits that like unlocks the puzzles have you played it at all, Riff? I played it a little bit. I I found it really intriguing, but I did not really have the patience to to figure out what I had to figure out to become any good at it. It's it is I, I would I would recommend going back to it and spending a little bit more time with it because it is it is really satisfying when you have there's a couple of, of like just serious aha moments that you can have mm-hmm. with it that 
are super exciting. Like those those moments are so worth it that it's it's definitely worth like sticking with it and not reading any spoilers or anything. Like knowing that there is a real game there and that it is definitely worth your time. Yeah, I had is to, all you really should need to know. I had to have somebody explain to me one of the sort of basics of it that he he tried to make that clear a little bit in a in the like sort of release version of the game, I guess which came out after the first one I played apparently where you it just gives you some stuff at a time where it can be used meaningfully um but like learning learning what the sort of first step towards making progress was was enough to get me super into it it was man talking to him about that game was so great because just started learning about all of these different things that I thought were true about the game that it turns out are just oh, completely yeah. superstition like he he like people ask him all the time like if a thing works away and he's like no yeah and then he like he asked me he was like straight up like which direction does the which direction does the orange thing go when you plant it and i said whichever direction you're facing and that's just not true at all that's totally just not true yeah and i don't know why people think that but a lot of people think that and that is just not how it works yeah I so, had I had a was, I had a superstition about the game that he had not heard before and he was really excited about because <laughs> like I mean because the game just doesn't explain its systems yeah. to you like your understanding of it is going to be of an extremely variable level of completeness yeah. right the very so, first time I did something I did something else at the same time and I was like oh it must be this other thing that I'm doing that causes this other thing to work and so every time I did that I just did them both together and it turns out i don't i guess i I haven't actually gone back and and tested this i like that the thing i was thinking of just the thing that i thought was doing what i was supposed to do was just wrong so yeah it's it is we're being super vague because the if you haven't already played it you should you should download it it's on steam buy it play it it's great um i played a bunch of uh little um sort of 2d puzzle games so while we were at Indiecade, uh, Stephen Lavelle re- released Puzzle Script, which is a super simple um, scripting language to make sort of Sokoban style games. Although you can sort of make more interesting stuff um, out of that. And I had, I had like the, the couple days before that came out, I had just played Midas, which is a game by uh, Harry Lee. He's the guy that did Stickets. Um, and it's it's sort of a neat little platformer or whatever. But but that game had also been remade with this um, puzzle script engine Uh, and then a bunch of people have made games in the puzzle script engine um, in the past week and some of them are really cool Uh, Matt Ricks, uh, the guy that made Train Yard uh, made a game called Cake Monsters that was pretty cool um, in puzzle script? In puzzle script, yeah Yeah, It's weird, like if you you read freeindiegame.es Puzzle script is just the new twine because instead of everything on the everything on that blog being a twine game, everything on that blog is a puzzle script game. Yeah, for the past week, it's just been nuts. Um, I have a couple of ideas of things I want to try out in it. Um, I saw you messing with it a bunch. You were up up late into the night the first night. Well, yeah, because like he had he had put a call out for people that wanted to try it, and I was like, oh shit, yeah, I want to get on on that. And so he like added me to the like a, a like a small user group or whatever. And I was like, man, I just, I do not have time to like put something solid together before Indicade is over. And he, and just, he was like, he just got impatient and he just released it to the world. Um, 
before that, uh, you know, like before the end of the weekend. So a bunch of other people made stuff before I got a chance, but I had I had been working on it um, for a couple hours after all of our uh, indicate obligations were done. Um, I played uh, a game called Moon Waltz, um, which is by uh, Major Bueno. It's the same guys that made that um, uh, Brawl and Sailor game. Um, and also, didn't they do that weird uh, game where you were had you were like mission control of the space game where they had to go blow up the asteroid, and it was just it was just like a sort of an animated choose your adventure where you just had to do things in the right order, but then you had all these buttons that all they did was like make a fart noise or whatever. I don't know, maybe. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's the same outfit. Um, so Moonwaltz is a single button game uh, where you are a guy. You like come out of a house and you are just walking from one end of a town to the other and then back. Um, but the, the thing that the button does when you press it is that the, uh, you basically part the clouds and the moon shows up and you're a werewolf and you, uh, you just, you wolf, you wolf out, um, real quick. And depending on when and where you do that, uh, different stuff happens and you like, you have, it's, it is like a really weird choose your own adventure because you can have all of these strange narrative, um, consequences to your actions just based on like when you do it and how long you do it and uh and that thing you can scare people in the town you can kill them you can knock stuff over you can like wreck property um it's great it's just it's really really neat and and worth checking out it's you know you can exhaust all the possibilities in like maybe 20 minutes of i didn't realize how many of the things that i have liked that are like this in the last six months are by these guys yeah they made that caesar game where all you're doing is voting for stuff yes or no the one where you're that guy who becomes a professional pancake flipper oh yeah (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, the space game was called A Second Chance. Okay. Yeah, it's really, yeah, it's good. What's the yeah, werewolf they, one called they're, again? Uh, they're a pretty solid Moon studio. They've waltz. got a bunch of different art styles that they're working in and stuff like Just really, really cool. Um, and then uh, I played... Uh, Alan Alan said, you should you should check out Shit Snake and Shit Snake 2. And I, I recommend this to, to all of our listeners because Shit Snake uh, is a really interesting take on the the old uh, snake formula like that, you know, that, that game snake that you all mm-hmm. probably played on your like mobile phone or whatever. Um, <coughs> and shit, shit snake two uh, is a sequel, which is a twine game about relationships. Anything in the news catch your eye, Kevin? Um, let's see here. Timothy Leary, uh, when in the eighties was, uh, working on a bunch of video games and they had sort of been lost to the ages, but then they were discovered recently in an archive in the New York public library. Um, do we know anything about them? They're weird. Uh, he had like one kidding. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, you know, he's, he's sort of super well known for like his like LSD experiments and trying to like get people to try it and, and see what, what crazy shit would happen. Um, and so the games that he would make, would make were really like strange sort of personality experiences and stuff like that. I, the the game that that I read about the most was uh, one where you took on different person like other people's personalities in the game as a as a way of sort of exploring your own personality. Um, and they're like they were like sort of psychedelic color text adventure things as far as I could tell. 
Um, there was a uh, Keith Haring's. What was it? It was Keith Haring's Neuromancer was one of the games. Huh. <laughs> yeah, I, you know it. It sounds fascinating. I wish I had had a chance to see them in person. There, uh, I think they're on display in New York uh, for the next month or so. If uh, if anyone who is living there wants to go check it out, I mean, were they all just things it. that he made himself? I think so. Yeah, huh. yeah. He died in '96, and I think in the '80s he was just making games. I don't know if he was working with other people or if it was him just sitting in a room programming stuff or what. Um, but it sounds fascinating. Um, I'm super. I'm super curious what they're what they're like. Yeah, apparently, some of them are in the display are actually um, totally playable. Huh. They're buggy and stuff. But you know, are you sure, or is it your or oh, is yeah. it your perception of them that's buggy, man? Yeah. What about you, Riff? Anything in the news that you found exciting? Um, I forgot to look, but I did notice that um, Costume Quest is out on iOS for the oh, yeah. Halloween like, holiday yeah, yeah, yeah. season. I, I downloaded it. I haven't it checked out to see how it plays yet. but um, I did notice that it was sort of frustrating to move around. I tried. I thought that I was doing... like I. I was like, oh, I guess I can't trick-or-treat at this house. I have no idea what to do. And then I left, and it was like, hey, dummy, why don't you go trick-or-treat at that house? Stupid. Because mm. it really was, because it's like your little sister making fun of you if you oh. do the wrong thing. I was like, I, but I tried. And so then I had to go and just fumble around with the touch controls a bunch to, to actually go do it. So I don't know. I don't know if that's the thing I'm going to go back to as a result of that, like, somewhat. Like, I don't regret giving them the money for it again. But How many uh, times have you bought it? Just, Just this is the second time. Okay. My news is from August, okay. uh, apparently, but I didn't find out about it until yesterday. Um, as near as I can tell, this is just being done in-house at Ubisoft, which is weird, but they're making a new game with the Might and Magic license, and it hmm. is, it seems to be very Legend of Grimrock inspired, like it is 3D, but it is very low granularity, like stuck to a grid, moving a square at a time, very turn-based 3D, just Might and Magic game. And I am super fucking stoked about that. It's available uh, on Steam Early Access. And I was like, hell yeah, I'll Early Access this game. I played it for like an hour, and I did not kill anything that wasn't a spider. <laughs> um, so that's... Arachnophobia of the game. They, yeah, no, they were all giants. They were all giant spiders, yeah. So, I mean, you know, it could, it could stand a little more variety than that, I guess. It's, it is not as satisfying as a Might and Magic 3 or a Might and Magic 4 because kind of the same deal with Legend of Grimrock like when you press forward there are you know six or eight frames of animation of you moving forward and you just can't not have it that way right so in Might and Magic 3 if you just hit forward ten times you're just immediately you know, unless it has to wait to actually show you something important that's happening, you're just immediately 10 steps forward, which makes moving around just really fast in a way that it is kind of, it gets kind of cumbersome in Grimrock or in this because they want it to look fluid. Uh-huh. It's just not, it's like, if you are on this grid, like, give me the option. And maybe there is this option. I didn't look. I don't know. If, I don't know if the option existed in Grimrock. It might not have because so many of the puzzles in Grimrock relied on the real-time stuff moving around in the world, right. and like your movement speed was such a critical aspect of that. 
But uh, that's that's a thing that's a little frustrating. I'm assuming that like other Might and Magic games, you eventually get sort of better mobility tools. Like once you once you get Lloyd's Beacon, the world is your fucking oyster. Um, but yeah, I'm stoked about that, and I bought it, and so should y'all, because Might and Magic, fuck yeah. I didn't. I don't really know who it is that's making this game. I was trying to figure out. I was like, ah, I wonder if it's just like some small studio. It was like, yeah, let's make a Might and Magic game. But then the only thing it says anywhere is just Ubisoft. There was an interview huh. with John Van Canningham, so I don't know if he's actually working on it. There's a bunch of different Ubisoft studios, though. So yeah. I wonder where it's. Or maybe maybe every Ubisoft game is just being built at a bunch of different studios now because like they're just doing this weird distributed production system. I don't know. Anyway. Might and Magic X Legacy. Also, it says Legacy. Aren't they do Assassin's Creed, right? Like that's Ubisoft. Because mm-hmm. um, I feel like that's a game that they just break up into parts and parcel out to their various studios, and like just have five or six different studios working on the same game at the same time, and somehow make it. They've managed to make it just work. So, um, yeah. No, I guess John Van Cunningham is not working on it. They interviewed him when he came by to see the game. <laughs> so, well, whatever. I think he stopped working on it. He stopped working on the series a long time ago. Cool. So, this assignment. Yeah. Mirror Moon EP. Um, hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Why don't you start off, Riff? Well, um, let's see. I thought it was pretty interesting. I enjoyed figuring out how the spaceship worked. And uh, I thought the, I mean, the puzzles were, I don't know, they're interesting, but not very deep. And no individual planet seemed to have very many of them. Like, after the tutorial planet, I don't think I found another planet that had more than a third as much puzzle as the tutorial did. Right. And granted, I didn't. I didn't play very far. I think I named like five planets. I was playing. I was playing on a private single-player map, by the way. Yeah, so, I don't know. So why I got to name every the, planet that I visited. But over the like multiplayer experience, how did you know that you were doing that? It gives you the option when you Does start it the game. Tell you that. Yeah, that's one of the things like at the very, English very, words? very beginning. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it was like a configuration option when you make a new game. So I played through the tutorial, and then I got to a planet in the real game and could not figure out how to go anywhere other than that planet. And the puzzle on that planet was, find the exit. Oh, it's right the fuck in front of you. Mm. Goodbye. So, and, I, and I just could not... I could move the map view around, but I had, it was like that sort of my classic Mass Effect 1 problem where it's like, what does this mean? Am I going to these places? Is moving the map there going there? No. Well, clearly not like and I yeah I just I did not spend the time learning how the fucking spaceship works and that's apparently the that's game that's important I mean that's the game is the game is about this sort of like pur- purposefully obfuscated control scheme sure um, Riff and I talked about it a little bit uh, when we were playing it <clears throat> and we each had realized a couple of things that I think helped out like Riff had noticed that there were you can both pan across the star star map and you can like rotate it in as a 3d map there's two different ways of, okay. of moving through this i mean i knew that there were two ways of moving it i did not understand the difference between the two right. 
Um, there, so you when you select a star, you can then engage the drive to start moving there, and there's you can go there with three different speeds, which use up different amounts of fuel. And Riff was like, "There's fuel," and I was like, "Yes, I have run out of it. It sucks. Don't do that." Huh. Um, fuel just replenishes I, once slowly I selected over time. One, once I selected one star, I was never able to figure out how to deselect it, and so I was able to move the map around, but I never figured out how to go to any other planet than the first one that I had gone to. And it just sucked. There I think, was nothing yeah, on that I mean, planet. there's there are a bunch of different controls. So I don't know what you're failing with at that point, but um, one of the things that I kept doing by accident is there's like two major sort of modes of the ship. One of which is to just go back down to the planet, and one of which mm. is to to fly around the galaxy. And I kept being in the wrong mode, so I'd like find the destination of where I wanted to go, and then I would hit, you know, I'd do the engage thing, and it would just take me back down to the planet and be like, God. Yeah, Damn. but that, that's what ha- that's the only thing that ever happened to me because yeah. I and I I didn't think of it as yeah I mean I just don't I don't understand any of what was happening you, to me. You just needed to have more patience and to play with it more, and then you would have yeah. sure. But I kept accidentally going to the go down to the planet and then come back up, which didn't take like forever, sure, but it, it took, took like twenty seconds sure. probably, and it was like fuck. Yeah, you need to you need to have more patience like than that. You need to you need to put up with that a couple of times until you figure out okay this is what causes that don't do that (laughs) i i was really dissatisfied with the puzzle planets um are they randomly generated i believe must be right i my understanding is that there are on the order of like a thousand planets generated each season and once either like 50 of them get not 50 50 percent of them get named or somebody finds the the like puzzle goal of the of that particular galaxy like restarts and starts with a fresh one um and they're just procedurally generated i i four i I think i i named like eight or nine planets um and i had four in the row which is why i quit that that the whole puzzle was just wander around on the surface till you find the, the exit and then leave um and I was like, this, these are not puzzles. This is did just... You, yeah, that was the one... Did you get to a, name those after surface, you finished yeah, them? Yeah, and I got to huh, name okay. those. Because I was, just, I was I, wondering I if maybe if another player named. solved a planet, if that... No. Like, if it I, cut... If it did not, therefore, reset, but if you the, got to What name it does, it, when, when someone's... So when you, when you go to an unsolved planet, the sphere, the exit sphere is, like, broken into, like, pieces, right. basically, and you, like, reassembles. And so when you go to a planet that's been solved before... When the exit is is available, it's just a sphere, um, so it's already sort of reassembled. But that's the only difference. Like it, it's still mm. the puzzle still unfolds the way it's a, it does every time when you go down to a planet. Um, if you're randomly generating puzzles, why would you generate ones like that? I I don't know. I, like I, why I would you generate a puzzle algorithm, with zero elements? Well, that's I think that their algorithm is just fucked up, right? Because mm. I think that their algorithm is meant to do stuff and make sure that everything is solvable. But I think that in doing so they have screwed something up and it is just, some of them are just trivial. It it definitely needs to be jiggered up to, to force a few more steps into those. And, you know, I was still finding new and different ways that they changed the rules on different Mm -hmm. planets, but that was neat, but interesting enough, you know, like, like, 
I was just continually also the control scheme was just just different enough that it was really frustrating. Not yeah. not having not mouse look. look yeah, mouse, yeah, mouse look. I mean, not I get existing why, was whoa. I get why they didn't right because sure. I mean, there were there were just a bunch of things that wouldn't have worked if you were trying to do it with right. mouse look. But it was still it and and I and I was willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. I was like, all right, they know this. They know that this is just as frustrating to the people who made this game as it is to me. So they're not going to make it so the absence of mouse look is meaningful gameplay wise and they didn't you know it wasn't a big deal yeah but yeah i just i basically didn't get to play it because i couldn't figure out how to move between levels and given that like if there had been anything interesting about the one planet that i found i would have been a lot more mm-hmm. motivated to go find another planet but it was literally just you land on the planet, the exit is right in front of you. Take a step forward, right. and you've solved the planet. Yep. And I'm like, what the fuck? Right. Well, and that's the problem. Like, you, you don't know what you're supposed to be doing. Exactly. Like, like, is this just something that I don't understand? Like, yeah. what, where, where, like what is the win state of this? Like, yep. that can't be it, right? Because that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, there are places like the galaxy is pretty large too like there are places that it takes 15 minutes to travel to if you pick a distant star and that's really boring that is unforgivable right 15 minute travel time in a single player game is unforgivable uh, it, well i, I, I mean the, the so. idea is i think is that you wouldn't you wouldn't choose a star that's 15 minutes away you'd choose a star that's 30 seconds away and do that 30 times to get yeah. to that other planet. Yeah. I and that's the thing, right? Like the the I think the game is is something that we didn't really play, which is this weird sort of navigation star mapping thing and that there is some deeper puzzle hidden about like how to find some sort of monolith or whatever because they talk about it. So we had a we had a sort of an interesting conversation about the difference between this game and Starseed Pilgrim. Yeah. And you had seen this game demoed at like the Experimental Games Summit at GDC a couple years ago, right? Yep. And they had no idea like what they were just like, yeah, we kind of made this thing. We don't really know how to make it into a game or whatever. That was they definitely the impression that I walked away. They with, did yeah. not really know what the soul of this thing was. Whereas talking to Droken, he was like, "This is what Starseed Pilgrim is about." This is what it, this is what each of these things represents. This is what each of these things is meant to evoke. And just there was such a clear vision, even though it was the same thing. It was a very abstract. It was a very abstract vision, right? right? And the game is the game is just as much a thing that sort of just drops you off in the middle of nowhere and kind of defies you to figure out how these weird systems work. Like the fact that there was some authorial intent, even though we don't know what it was necessarily as players just makes it a way better experience. Right. And that's, you know, I think there's something to that. It's like uh, when you're, when you're reading a, a science fiction or fantasy novel where there's been a lot of world building, you can tell that even if none of that content gets directly mentioned, you you can, you can feel that there's, there's more in the background to this place that you're not actually seeing whereas if yeah. if 
if that universe hasn't been properly sketched out, you can you can tell how flimsy it is. I mean, and it's arguably way better if you don't get a lot of that thrown in. Yeah, your face, yeah, right? you I mean, you want those the, mysteries to to be there. Yeah, yeah, and that's. I mean, we I think we've had arguments about this in the past whether the author needs to know answers to questions or not, and I think it's okay in either case, right? Because if the author wants to leave it a mystery even to themselves, that's and fine. And I, I think our our arguments have been basically both of us tending towards a middle sure. ground, right? That wasn't that that reveals that our thoughts about this were not so disparate. Yeah, you want in I think, the first place. I think you want to have a sent as an author, you want to have some concrete references and ideas about how the world works and what's going on in the world, but it it is foolish to try to decide everything in advance i mean i think that a lot of it is that the most interesting questions don't have any answers and so if you force them to have answers they're going to be boring restrictive answers it's i don't know that the most interesting questions don't have answers but the the most interesting questions are more interesting while you don't know the answer once you know the answer it loses a lot of the allure right what the thing that i like is questions that get answered and your the answers are really satisfying. Um, sure, but I mean, I guess few it is better between. to have an unanswered... It is better to have an interesting question with no answer than an interesting question with a shitty answer. That is true. And I feel like that's what a lot of games do is they have interesting questions with dumb answers. And so they'd just be better with no answers. Yeah. Hmm. And that's why, you know, Stephen King is bad at endings because... Not because he's bad at writing or bad at writing stories, but because he sets up a lot of things that can't have an ending that is worth... Like, there there cannot be an answer that satisfies the question, and whereas a lot of people would just not ask that question, he's content to just have a question with a dissatisfying answer. Sure. Right. And, you know, people... A lot of people would probably reject it outright if it just didn't get answered. You know... Right? That would be That would be as... Mysteries are things that you want an answer to and compelling mystery stories provide you with an answer that's really satisfying right and the questions all along are even sort of drive you drive you in sort of an interesting way um i think about like dan brown books as an example of like mysteries that have just really dumb resolutions at the end um but I should read a plot summary of Dan Brown books so that I will know anything. Sure. They, I mean, the thing is, you could also just pick up a Dan Brown book and read it in an afternoon. Yeah, but I don't want to. And, I, you know, it, it's like candy for your brain. <laughs> so do it on a weekend. Okay. Um, All right. So what are we going to do for the next assignment? Riff. I was afraid, Riff, that you were going to say that you just played through Mist. Yeah. Because we're going to do uh, we're going to do Mist for the assignment, but I think we'll do real Mist. Yeah, real Mist. Uh, because that's a new way for me to play Mist. Yeah. And Hopefully it's got a really one. low Metacritic score, so uh, does it? Well, it's like sixty six. What is the original Mist? Uh, I don't know. For Metacritic score, didn't look. Theoretically, they should be equivalent, right? Well, no, not necessarily. Um, hopefully, it does not change too much. Apparently, there's like an extra chapter that they add to it which yeah they added a new age i think actually they're working on a on a new real mist with even newer updated textures and stuff but i don't know when that's supposed to be out so there are too many games that have the substring mist in them it's weird that it does not match 
do an exact match prioritization. Yeah, it is. It's hard, though. Text is hard. So, Mist has, no, this says July 16th, 2009, release date. Oh, no, that's the PSP version of Mist has 69. Huh. Metacritic. Yeah, so they can't be trusted. Okay. Mist for the DS has a 43 on Metacritic. Why are we even looking at this? What? Do, when have we, When has it ever occurred to us to mention the Metacritic score? I don't know. Of a fucking game. You just. I think you. You noticed it. I did. So I looked it up to see if I looked. I looked on Metacritic to see. I wonder if Real Mist is any good because I feel like that's a thing that it would have been real easy to just crank out the door, shitty to try to make some money, off of a license that you got, and then the fact that it was a 66 means that it's not just like a joke. Right. Right. Anyway, we're going to play Real Mist, and I hope it's good. And I haven't played Mist in a long time, so it's, I hope uh, I remember any of the puzzles. Playable on Windows. Oh, wait, I mean, there aren't any puzzles. And it's available on Steam. so That's like six bucks. Six bucks, yeah. All right, well, uh, we have gone too long. We've gone too far, gentlemen, to do any <laughs> listener's mail. But if somebody did want to send us some listener's mail for next time, we attempt to record a podcast. How would they do that, Kevin? Well, it's not even clear that we have been recording. Uh, it's possible that no one will hear this. Uh, but just in case, uh, you can tweet us at VGHotDog. You can email us, VGHotDog at gmail.com. Uh, or you can check out our website, VideoGamesHotDog.com. Where there's a I hope we have been recording it because I'm eager to listen to it so I can hear your guys' half of the conversation. Yeah, we're using a, the we're using the cell the cellophone service at the at uh, the office that Riff is in because his internet has been down all day. Because bullshit. fucking internet, it is bullshit. So we couldn't use Skype. We have to use Skype to call the landline at the apartment in San Francisco because the internet at the apartment in San Francisco is so shitty that Skype doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Let me tell you, technical difficulties abound. In spite of those technical difficulties, gentlemen. I've had a great time recording episode number 129 of Video Games Hot Dog with you, and I hope you've had a good time recording episode number 129 of Video Games Hot Dog with me. Certainly. Yeah. All right. We'll see you. You'll see you next time. Have fellas. a great week, everybody. And we'll see you next see you. time, listeners. Mm-hmm.